0: everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. On today's episode, we're going to be finishing up our little series on rediscovering Jesus in the Old Testament. This time, we're going to be looking at Jesus in a fire. So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. We've also been just looking at the Old Testament in general, trying to help ourselves understand it a little bit better, kind of knocking off some bad ways of looking at it and understanding it and trying to reframe it within the culture and context that they would have understood back in the day when it was written and things that we don't understand at all in our 21st century understanding. And today we're going to jump into the last story that I want to talk about that is kind of a theophany or Christophany, possibly. I mean, there's nothing we can't prove this was Jesus, but it's very likely that it was. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But first, I want to just talk a little bit more about the Caesarian Vassal Treaty that I talked about last time. I mentioned that and I said you should look it up because it's super interesting. And I want to just kind of highlight some things in that, because as we look at the Old Testament through the understanding of a Caesarean vassal treaty, which was a treaty that was well known in the ancient Near East between two unequal parties. So it'd be one party that had authority and power, that's the Caesarean, and then the other party which had not much power or authority, and that would be the vassal. And so they would make these treaties with each other. And they had a bunch of different parts. They would start with kind of an introduction of the characters. They would talk about their history together. They would talk about the stipulations of the treaty, what was going to happen, what each person was going to do in the treaty. And then they would talk about the blessings and the cursings that would happen if they followed the treaty or if they broke the treaty. And this was just something they were doing in the just normal, secular Near East. Had nothing to do with religion necessarily or anything like that. And yet God went ahead and used something that people would be familiar with. I find that just so fascinating. I love how he just uses the things that we already understand and, ugh. Yeah, I love it. Reaching out to us in our own understanding. And so then there would be blessings and cursings, and then they would put the two different um, copies of the covenant in different places, and there would be witnesses that would witness what had happened. And so that was how you made the treaty in a very quick, broad um, explanation. So, like I said, look more into it if you want to. So, when you look at the way the Old Testament is laid out between God coming to Abraham and promising him um, this covenant that he made with him very much laid out like a Caesarean vassal treaty. And then as you look into the law being given, once again, just very much laid out in a way that would have been understood as a Caesarean vassal treaty. And then as you look through the prophets, they were just kind of almost reconfirming this treaty that had been made, this covenant, the different parts of it. And so when you get to the blessings and the cursings, which we see all throughout the Bible, I mean they're in they're in Deuteronomy, they're in the beginning with Abraham, they are all through the prophets. You get these ideas of blessings and cursings. That was just part of the covenant. It would make sense as you understand this treaty. But in the in the treaty, in Deuteronomy, as God is laying out the last little bit of the law, and he lays out these blessings and these cursings that the Israelites could expect if they followed or did not follow the covenant that he had made with them. So I want to just look at this really quick. In Deuteronomy 28, God lays out The things that will happen to them if they follow him, if they keep this covenant that they've made with him, and he lays out the curses that will happen if they don't. This is in Deuteronomy 28 if you're interested. And one of the things he talks about is that they're going to fall before their enemies if they don't obey him. That eventually their enemies are going to take them over and possess their land. And if you look at the history of Israel, hundreds of years go by with different kings there's first there's just one king Saul David Solomon eventually they end up with two kingdoms Judah and Israel Israel almost always has bad kings who don't follow the Lord Judah has I guess more good kings than they have bad kings so some of them do follow the Lord some of them don't but eventually both of those parts of the nation of Israel go into captivity and it's just it's it's what happens. God told them, this what's going to happen if you don't follow me. And as they just chose to not follow him, eventually they ended up in captivity and their land was taken. And the land was part of the promise that was given to Abraham. He was promised, like we mentioned last time, he was promised a seed. So a descendant and eventually the Messiah would come through his line. He was promised land, which became the nation of Israel eventually. And he was promised blessing, that there will be blessing from him that would bless the whole earth. And so as they lose their land, this is part of that covenant that God made. They're losing this land that God promised them. So we're going to look today into the book of Daniel. And I'm really excited about this story. I realize that it's a familiar one. You probably know it, but I just want to look into this. And one of the first things I noticed as I was just digging into this story in the book of Daniel was that here is God once again reaching out to people, pursuing relationships with people even though the temple was destroyed, even though there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of law being read or understood. And they're in exile. They're not in the nation of Israel, in Jerusalem, in the temple, nothing. Nothing like that is there. and Yet God's presence is still with them and he's still pursuing people. And I just find that just, I love it. I love it because if you have been spiritually abused at all, you know so much of it is about behavior. And so much of it is about the law, whether it's rules from God or rules from Jesus or rules from Paul. It's always about these things that you do. And it's always very formulaic across the board. Spiritual abuse is always formulaic. If you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, then this will happen. And like I said, you can see that in the Bible and the treaties, but that's not necessarily something you just take for your own life. That's not something you can just take across the board and say, Oh, I didn't obey, now God's gonna get me, because that that's not how it works. And even when you look at the nation of Israel and the history of Israel, God was so patient with them. I mean, so patient. It wasn't like they disobeyed him and instantly got smashed. There was so much time and so many prophets and so many opportunities for repentance that were given to them. So patient. And so that's just it's spiritually abusive and it's people who are trying to be in power that are trying to get you to do stuff based in fear. And that's just not the real Jesus. It's not the real God and it's not how I read the real Bible. So I just want to make that very clear to you guys. Because I love how God is just represented here in the book of Daniel. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are from the nobility or from just the higher ranking people in Jerusalem. One of the things Nebuchadnezzar said as he took over. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took over Jerusalem. He besieged it and he took it over. And he said, I want you to find me young men that are handsome and skilled and wise and that are from these royal family or people of nobility. I'm going to take them back to my kingdom and make them my, my people that serve me kind of a thing. And so they did. And they found these four guys and they took them back to Babylon and they made them eunuchs. So they were no longer able to have a family, children, nothing like that. They just are going to serve the king. And here is the thing that just gets me as I read this, because the nation of Israel is not following God, or the nation of Judah at this point. Israel's already been taken into captivity. So this nation, this, this city, for the most part, is just not following God. And yet these four young men, somehow they seem to just know God. And it, it makes you wonder, like, what were their families like? What were their families teaching? And so once again, there's always a remnant. Like God always has people who are following him, even in the darkest, most depressing times in culture, somebody is always so following God. God is revealing himself to someone always. I love it. So here are these four guys, and they're away from their family, their city, their country. They've been made eunuchs against their will, and they are in the service of the king. And they're not just like slaves, like they're his wise men, his, I don't know, they're kind of, they have a position of somewhat power. It's all under the king, but they have some kind of a power position. They're eating from his table. At least they have the opportunity to. And so this is a situation where they could have just been like, sweet, we'll just relax. We'll sit back. We'll enjoy our life. But instead they don't. Like even in the very beginning, they asked to be only fed vegetables and water. They don't want to eat from the king's table, his rich delicacies and stuff like that, that were probably not, I mean, they weren't kosher. They were against the laws that God had given his people. And so they were just choosing to say no to that. Amazing that they were, I mean, I just, I find that just fascinating that these guys had their own faith, but that that's the word that kept coming back to me as I'm reading this is faith. This is not about following rules. This is about them knowing God personally and having faith in who he is and choosing to serve him no matter what. I love it. I love it. It's not about things that they did, although they did things, but that was coming from their heart, their heart that was for God and their heart of faith and trust in who he was, and that he was real. So as you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you've got this crazy king that they're serving. He is, I mean, narcissist to the full. He's slightly insane. I mean, he was nuts. If you read it, even just in history, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was a crazy dude. He was powerful, and he was crazy. And so that's what they're serving here. And if you read through Daniel, you have him and Um, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar interacting, but when you come to Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar makes this giant statue. It's like 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, probably. And it's huge. It's gold. He sets it up on this plane so everybody can see it. So this kind of open, grassy area, everybody can see it. And he says, All right, I'm going to have all this gorgeous music that plays. And when you hear the music, everybody's going to bow down and worship my statue, statue of himself. That's how great he thinks he is. He's basically saying, I'm God. I am God, and you're going to worship me. And so the music plays, and everybody bows down, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How awkward is that? I mean, you're just standing there like, yep. Hey, guys, what's up? And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. I mean, he's so angry, because not only have they defied his commands, they've said they're not going to worship his God, and they're not going to worship his statue. And he is just furious. I mean, you want to make a narcissist angry? That's the kind of stuff you do. They're gonna kill you. And he literally is. He tells them I'm give me one more chance. And if you do not bow down to the statue, I'm gonna throw you into the furnace and you're gonna die. And he even says to them, What God is able to save you from my hand? Like he just thinks he's it. He's the bomb diggity, man. He's all it. He is it. And I love their response. I want to read it to you guys from the Net Bible. I kind of talked about that last episode, this online Bible that you can go to, the netbible.org. So that's where I'm going to read it to you from. So he tells them, if you don't pay homage to the statue, you will be immediately thrown into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And now who is that God who can rescue, me from my, rescue you from my power? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they reply. They say, if our God, whom we are serving exists, he is able to rescue us from the fire, from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us, O king. From your power as well, but if he does not, but if he does not, I love that. Let it be known to you, o King, that we don't serve your gods. And we will not pay homage to the golden statue that you have erected. And Nebuchadnezzar is filled with rage. It says he is so angry that he has them heat the furnaces up seven times hotter than it was normally heated. He's got these strong soldiers who tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they take them up to these furnaces to throw them in. And the furnaces are so hot that the soldiers who throw them in die. Like they can't even stand in front of the fire because it's so hot. It kills them before they even get thrown in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. And you know the story. Nebuchadnezzar freaks out because as he's looking into the furnace, he does not see three men. He sees four. And the fourth man, he says, looks like a son of the gods. Or as the Net Bible says, the Son of God. Oh, guys, any time, any time in the Old Testament that God appears in some kind of a human form, even if it's not Jesus, even if we can't like, be positive that it's Jesus, it is still a foreshadow of the incarnation. It's like this foreshadowing that they're doing, saying, hey, someday I'm going to come and I'm going to be a human and I'm going to walk among you so that you will know who I am. And so here they are in this furnace. And there's this fourth man in the furnace with them. And they're walking around in the furnace. In the furnace that just killed all the guards. It just destroyed them. And they didn't even get inside of it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Jesus probably are walking around in the furnace. It says they're unbound and they're free. And Nebuchadnezzar, who thinks he's God, shouts out. And he says, come out, come out, bring them out. And so Nebuchadnezzar pulls them out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fire, and it says that you couldn't even tell that they had been in the furnace. The hair of their heads was not singed. Nothing was damaged about them. They are completely physically unharmed. Not even the smell of fire was on them. And Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. He's amazed. And he praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he goes on and eventually has his own encounter with the living God. And if you read the rest of the book of Daniel, you'll know that God just comes to Nebuchadnezzar, who is this prideful, narcissistic, crazy person. And he has his own encounter with the living God. I love that. I love that here in the Old Testament, it's not a God of rules and regulations. And I'm going to get you because you stepped that a line. It is still, it's always been and it always will be. A God who pursues people, that He provides the way of escape, that He provides the way to Him, and He's always pursuing people, and it's always about faith. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—they had faith. Was it their faith that saved them? Was it some formula that you know they had enough faith, and so they had—they were saved in the fire? Are you kidding me? No, absolutely not. And we can't look at the story and make some crazy moralistic way of viewing it or something that says, you know, if I had this kind of thing then this will happen to me, it doesn't work that way, guys. This is just a story. This is history of God and man. And it tells us that it's about faith. And it tells us that it's about a God who pursues, a God who saves, a God who shows up, a God who confounds the powers in this world, and a God who is willing to be found by anybody. And I love that. And so I hope as we finish up this little series of God in the Old Testament, that you are encouraged to read the Old Testament, that you would just jump into it for yourself. I want to throw out one more thing out there. There is an app called Read Scripture. And a bunch of my college girls in my college group that I work with, they read, are reading it and they love it. They said it just helps to explain it. There's little videos that go along with it. It just, it just opens up the understanding of how this Old Testament thing works and the New Testament as well. But I would just encourage you, if you're you're just wondering, how do I do this? How do I read the Old Testament? How do I understand it? Maybe start there, the Read Scripture app. And as always, I'll have all this stuff linked in my notes to this podcast so that you can find everything you're looking for that I've talked about. I hope this series has encouraged you. I hope it's made you think. I hope it's made you maybe even rethink how you look at the Old Testament. How you're willing to see the God of the Old Testament and how you're willing to find Jesus there and to realize that God and Jesus are the same. They're not different. They're the same. There may be different pieces of Him that are revealed, but it's the same God. He has always pursued broken people. It's always been about faith in Him. That's what saves us. It's never been about our behaviors. Ever. Ever. It's always been a gift. A gift that gets us back into relationship with God. So I'm really excited to finish this up, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I haven't totally figured out what we're talking about next episode, so it will be a surprise. And until then, you keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at ChristyLynWood.com for more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.